Morning everybody. It's good to see you. I I just want to start off by thanking you for your patience in that, uh, you know, with uh, the fact that, you know, we're struggling to see uh, some of the things that are put up with in the sc- on the screen and, and I know some of you are struggling with our sound but hopefully over the next couple of weeks uh, there will be a big difference. We have the carpet tiles sitting over there now and that will change the acoustics in the room fairly dramatically and uh, as the projector goes up and, uh, and is much more, uh, there's much more light coming out of the projector and uh, we're not working off this uh, small system that, uh, that you will be able to hear in a, a much better way. And, uh, but uh, I, um, I do thank you for your patience as we, as we work through these last few things. But it's good to be in here, isn't it? It really is and we put up with those few little things until we get it finished and uh, so, uh, so that'll be great and we have hopefully this week some blinds coming from these so it's not quite so temporary uh, with just trying to block out some light. Isn't it amazing where we went before with really needing to have all the lights on and I forgot to turn the lights on <laughs> this morning and uh, oh, it doesn't really matter that much does it? <laughs> so, uh, so it's a, it, it's just wonderful, and to get away from the yellow light, uh, which made us look all jaundiced, and uh, so uh, so anyway, it's just such a good thing, and God is so good. God is so good. You want me to do that? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Is that okay? Are you there now? Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. The Beatitudes. If you'd like to open your Bibles. And, uh, and, 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 and looked at the introduction to this. We then go to the Beatitudes, this first uh, proclamation, if I can put it that way, from these verses. And uh, I will read it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, you would have heard these verses spoken of uh, many, many times and I would suggest you've often heard people quote them quite out of context. 
And uh, so, so in that vein, I would like to go back and have a look at, uh, at, at some of the context of these verses. Because remember, in the previous chapter, as we said last week, that Jesus stood up in the temple and he read from the book of Isaiah. And he read these verses, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captors and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. And he stood up in the temple and he said what? Today, this prophecy which was written so long ago by Isaiah, has been fulfilled in your presence. There he stood before them and basically said, I am the promised one. I am the Messiah, the one that you have been waiting for. I am he and I am going to fulfill these prophecies in your lifetime. But let's go back to Isaiah. And what was the context that these verses were written in? God had called a people. When he called Abraham out of the land, he said, come and follow me. Leave your family and I will take you to a land a special land that I will give you. And from that couple, his plan was to increase these people by way of miracle into a people and a nation. And as we read it, as we read it, we see that it seemed that every turn they made was difficult. Isn't that true? Sarah was way beyond the years of childbirth when she gave birth. Everything was difficult and yet he promised them to be a nation because you know what? It was about God. It was never about Abraham. That here, right from the beginning, remember when we were working through Genesis, And God looked down on the people. What did he say? Everything about man's heart is evil. And we saw that there that this was there was this remnant that came through over those uh, over that time from Adam to Noah. How many people were on the ark? Out of how many that would have been living at the time? God's purposes were to be fulfilled. And then he took Abraham and he was going to create a nation. And he said, I, you will be my people and I will be your 
God. And so by way of miracle he brought them, they went into Egypt, they came out of Egypt, they crossed by way of miracle across the Red Sea and they went into the desert. All the time, him looking after them, him providing for them, the food, the water. And even when they disobeyed him throughout the the wandering in the wilderness, their shoes never wore out and their clothes never wore out. You see, it was all about God. And he wanted them to know that. And life's so different for us today. We constantly try to make it about us. But it's actually all about God. And so finally, after Moses had gone and and, um, Joshua took them into the land, there they were. They had their own And there was that fulfilment of the promise for them. What does having your own land mean? What does having your own possession mean? For those of you, someone here has just bought a house and smiles this big. (laughs) That sense of ownership, that sense of roots in the ground, that sense of possession, that sense of citizenship. Not yet. You can own a house, but you can't be a citizen yet. Still a Kiwi to us. (laughs) But what is it? You know, there's a lot of homeless people who live in our city. And they don't have a sense of citizenship. They have no sense of belonging. They have no sense of being part of the community. They often live without relationship. But more than anything else, they will tell you that they have no And this is what it was for these people who were living in the desert for all of those years when they finally went in and they started to... and were able to tuck their kids into bed at night time with solid walls around them. And they went out and they had their own land. You look at it for us here today. Being a part of the community allows us to vote for council, to vote for state government and federal government. We have a voice. We have a sense of of being in this community. And it's important. We may not always like the outcomes but we're satisfied with the fact that we've had a voice. But these people 
But these people then went on as they always had. In this book of Judges, the theme there that says, I can't remember how many times, and man, it was right in his own eyes. And he turned on his back on God. And in this nation of Israel and Judah, of uh, the land of Israel being in captivity at the time, which was 722 BC, and Isaiah wrote this in around 742 BC, I think, in this context of the land of Israel being in captivity by the Assyrians, the Babylonians were starting to come into power at the time, and the land of Judah, the land of Judah, the southern kingdom, were living in idolatry and sin. And these people had been taken off their land. They'd been taken away in absolute uh, humiliation, away from their promised land and taken into captivity. This is the context. And they were given, their citizenship was taken away. They were a nobody. They were a nobody. They had no rights. They had no voice. They had no uh, sense of community. And they had no hope. You know, we have people living in the world today in exactly the same situation. Where all their rights, their land, their possessions, everything has been taken away and they have been dispossessed. This is exactly how the Jewish people felt at the time except that their land had been promised to them by God. It was a spiritual ownership as well as a physical ownership. And here they were living in captivity and along comes Isaiah and he preaches to these people and the theme of Isaiah is a preaching of, uh, of salvation. It's what his name means. Salvation from God. And he talks here about the fact that God called him to preach to the people. And he preached here on the fact that there was one coming. The one coming to proclaim good news to the poor. To bind up the broken hearted. Freedom from the captives. Oh, how they longed for all of these things. They were, had nothing. They were desperate. And they just cried out to the one who would come and free them from their captivity. And Jesus stood there in the temple that day and said, I am the one the promised one, the one that those years ago Isaiah said was going to come. I am he. And I stand before you today and you can see me. Jesus in 4.17 preached repentance. And then he went out on the hill and he sat down and his disciples at his feet because they needed to hear this first. 
and then all the crowds that gathered around him. This passage was intended for the nation of Israel but has application for all who would own Christ as their Saviour. For he is the one that has brought us into relationship, a joint relationship with his people, the children of Israel, we as the Gentiles into relationship with him. You know, each of the Beatitudes is a subject of its own. Much time could be spent looking at each of them but we're not going to. But each beatitude also starts with this word blessed and and I don't know what version of the Bible you have but the word in some translations is translated happy. Happy is he. But the trouble is the word happiness doesn't really convey what this word is. And... uh, Uh, it is more of a contentment or an inner peace that comes from being in a particular relationship with God that transcends the circumstances that one might be in. Each beatitude comes also with a promise of reward from God. And I think it's very interesting to see the antithesis of this passage compared to Proverbs 6. 16 to 19. Let me just read these things. There are six things the Lord hates. Oh, no, there's seven, he then goes on to say, that are detestable for him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness, a witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Can you see the comparison there of the words that we have read? Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, that are meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. The things that we become when we're in relationship with God. Let us have a look at these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, we tend to think of the poor as those who are poor in money or possessions. But there's a deeper meaning here that's alluded to by Isaiah. For those who are poor in spirit are those of the exile, those who are dispossessed of their land, of the past possessions, no longer have rights, as we talked about, or power. Having their land and possessions ripped away, but they are also afflicted and oppressed, they are powerless and without hope. And they are desperate. The physical poverty was intensified by the poverty of their spirit. But those who are poor in spirit are often those who are humble before God. They realise they have nothing in this world that can contribute to receiving the kingdom of God. What have I to give? 
I have nothing. In a less historical way, this also refers to Christians who have given up their rights to influence and power, to come in humility to God in a, with a heart of repentance. Jesus said it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Being poor in spirit is a necessity for anyone who wants to come and live in relationship with a holy and righteous God. We can bring nothing. We can have no influence. There is nothing about us that God desires for our salvation. He provides it all. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning indicates the pain and the grief and the anxieties of the soul over loss, often the death of a loved one. But it could be over the loss of a valued life, as it was for the Israelites at the time, as they were taken into exile. It could be over the loss of possessions or status or health, People mourn over disaster and tribulation and in times of mourning they look for hope. And most often in this world there is little hope. For where do you look for hope in this world? The people Jesus was speaking of had lost their land, lost their power, lost their influence. They had little hope. They mourned their circumstances and their loss. So the people who were directly in the crowd that day, they were not living in another land. They were back in their land. But they were being controlled by a foreign nation. Rome was there lording it over them and they desired in their heart that a warrior would come, that the Messiah would come on the big white stallion with his armies and he would destroy this nation and bring them back to the status they had. Oh, we can mourn our circumstances or as Jesus would have it, as God would have it, we can mourn the sin that brings about our circumstances. Sin was the reason they lost their land and were thrust into poverty and brokenness. Many were looking for the warrior Messiah to bring about freedom and killing their enemies. But Jesus had a different plan. Jesus was there to deal with the sin that caused their poverty. Do we mourn our circumstances of health or broken relationships, difficult financial situations or a lack of influence? Do we mourn those things? Or do we mourn the sin that invades our world? that breaks relationships, that causes poverty and hunger? Do we desire a time when all things will be as God intended, free from sin? Our mourning should always be for a world that is lost and without hope. Our hearts should be heavy and there is only one person that we can cry out to in these circumstances and that is the Creator Himself, Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What's meekness? 
What's meekness? In the Bible, the meek are those who have a spirit of gentleness and self-control. Moses was said to be weak and yet he was a person who could lead a nation. Now, the man Moses, Numbers in 12 verse 3, now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. Meekness must not be confused with weakness. Jesus was meek and humble but even he turned over the tables in the temple through righteous anger. Meekness is often described as strength under control. Does that sound like one of the fruits of the Spirit? Along with gentleness and goodness. But the meek do not exploit and oppress others. They are not given to vengeance and vendettas. They are not violent. They do not try to seize power of their own need, for their own needs. In short, they have emulated the nature of Jesus in their lives and learned from him. This does not mean that they are weak or ineffective in life. They may be gentle and humble, but they can and do champion the needs of the weak and the oppressed. For the people of Jesus' day, a warlike attitude to getting the land back from their enemies was not Jesus' way of dealing with their situation. Getting a relationship right with God deals with the reason they lost their land in the first place. And when they not only gain, sorry, and they will not only gain the land, but the whole earth as God creates a new heaven and a new earth for all his children to possess. With the loss of the land came the sense of loss of place, security and inheritance from God but this is all replaced in relationship with God through Christ. So do we mourn the symptoms or do we mourn the cause? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because for they will be filled. Not long ago we had a church camp and the theme was Hungry Thirsty. And it was this verse. <clears throat> Hunger and thirst are two of the most basic needs of human existence. I just had some water. You can wait till morning tea. And they say that a human can survive for about three to five days without water and 30 to 40 days without food, depending on circumstances. I'd struggle. <laughs> I'd really struggle. <laughs> so what is this and what is the meaning? It comes in two parts. Firstly, that the child of God will have a deep inner need to live according to God's laws and seek to please him in everything that we do. It will be at the forefront of their minds through decisions that they make day by day. It will temper what they watch on TV, the places they go, the company they keep. It will control their conversations and bring a desire for witnessing. Secondly, it will bring a desire for social justice. We cannot hunger for thirst for righteousness without seeing the needs of others and having a desire to fill those needs. It will soften the hearts as God renews us through his spirit. The desire for personal righteousness cannot be separated from the world that we live in. 
A hunger and thirst for righteousness may, be set, may not be satisfied immediately but it will be filled in God's kingdom and it will be a banquet. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Alan Ross in his commentary on this subject says, One thing that is common to the poor in spirit, the meek and those who hunger, and hunger for, for righteousness is that their life is not self-sufficient but looks outward for help. They understand mercy for they know their own inadequacies, dependence, weaknesses and incompleteness. And when they receive gracious and merciful bounty from the king, they in turn know to show mercy to others. Showing mercy to others includes both the forgiveness of the sinner and compassion for the suffering and the needy. They are called blessed because they place showing mercy above their own rights. They take no hostile stand against people in need. They try to show kindness to others and heal wounds. It is not that they are merciful by nature, but because they have been shown mercy and live in constant dependence upon the Lord. Do you remember the story that Jesus tells us of the man that came and the king forgave him a great reward? Oh, sorry, a great debt. The king forgave him a great debt and yet he went out and the servant who owed him only a small amount, he cast him to prison. Oh, that can be so easily us. When Melinda and I lived up, on, uh, up in Queensland, uh, a couple who would often come to the camp where we were working were from Redcliffe and they went to Christian, Redcliffe Christian Assembly at the time and, um, and this was a couple who shone Christ, absolutely shone Christ. You see, as a young couple, they lived on the streets. They were alcoholics in their 30s. They had nothing. Everything they had went into alcohol and that was their life. But someone came one day and presented them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and suddenly the lights were turned on in their hearts and they accepted him and their lives were absolutely turned around. But the thing that was displayed in their life from then on was mercy. They were people who lived out these verses and one of the very reasons was is they knew what they had been saved from and they knew what God had done to bring them into relationship with him. And you know what? I never, for the years that I knew and had to do with this couple, ever heard them say anything but really lovely things about other people. And they went out of their way to assist others. Why? Because they knew the mercy that had been shown to them to bring them into their new state. 
Micah 6.8 and we read this not long ago with David Wilson. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Genesis 6.5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And here it talks about those who are pure of heart. It is not natural for people to be pure of heart. It is not natural for any other of the Beatitudes to be naturally present in people. It's hard enough even when we have the Spirit of God living within us to be this way. So it is absolutely impossible to be this way without him. As you may have picked up as we've talked about these, the Beatitudes in so many ways are symbiotic. It is almost impossible to have one without the other. As the fruit of the Spirit are one, we can't pick and choose which of those fruit we have. So it is with these Beatitudes. We are to display them all as a unit. And the person who is pure in heart is one who is governed by God, whose heart has been renewed and one that will make the right choices. They will be merciful and meek and will hunger and thirst for righteousness. Their heart and therefore the choices they make will be pure. Their heart and therefore their actions will be pure. Their heart and therefore their words will be pure. Their heart is the centre of their decision making. And they will see God. A person who is pure of heart will see God in the circumstances of life but much more than that they will see God face to face in the future when God calls them home to be with him and we are created, recreated, pure and without sin. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Isaiah 9, 6 It's read pretty well every Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And yet the many wars have been fought in Jesus' name, haven't they? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, John 14, 27 says. Once again from Alan Ross, he says, those who are peacemakers are are then first and foremost people who understand what true peace is. Their effort is to strive to establish a peace that embraces God's provision of peace so that people will be in harmony with one another because they are at peace with God. In other words, the true peacemakers are they who promote the kingdom of God. Their lives are given to working for promoting the kingdom of God, reconciling adversaries, quenching hatred, uniting those who are divided, promoting true understanding and spiritual love. 
and they do this because they know that true peace, what true peace is. So the quality described here is one that is spiritual and not simply a political seeking of peace. You may have seen that painting that has been called Peace where there is a waterfall and you look carefully and in behind the water is a little bird and it's created its nest and its young are there with it and hear the crashing waters of this waterfall are all around it but it knows that that waterfall is what protects it and its young from the enemy outside. And there, in amongst all the chaos, it lives in peace. And if we are comfortable in our own relationship with God and understand his mercy and grace that we've brought us into this position, then we are comfortable to allow others to live in harmony with us. You know, in harmony, we don't sing all the same. We sing different notes but all sing their part to make a beautiful sound. Some people, even Christians, seek opportunities to spread disharmony in the church but that is because they have not found peace with God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when people seek to promote justice to... sorry when people seek to promote justice, to be peacemakers, to be meek, merciful in a sinful world, opposition will come. It has been the same throughout history, even for Cain and Abel. And you know for this very person here who wrote these words in the first place, Isaiah, history tells us that he was martyred, sawn in half at the time for his stand for the things of God. For those who are persecuted for our Lord and his righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of God. How pertinent it was for those disciples who were sitting there that day and hearing this. This was a prophetic statement for all of his disciples who were persecuted and all but one were martyred. The stories of the boldness of the martyrs throughout history make for wonderful reading as one by one they stood for their master as they realised this world was not their home. As it says in this beatitude, theirs is the kingdom of God. That is their true home, their place of residence, their comfort, their peace and security. This passage is not a gospel passage This passage is for all of us who have Jesus Christ living as our Lord and Saviour. As the Holy Spirit lives within us and recreates us, these are the sorts of people that he is and wants to live out through us to be. So reread these and take them to heart. Yes, they were prophetic when they were written, for those who were dispossessed of their land and their inheritance. But you and me, you and me, we have been given this mighty inheritance through Christ and he wants to fulfil all of these things in our lives. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word.
and the wonderful truths in it. And as we journey through your word, Father, I pray that you would live these things out in us. You would give us that endeavour in life that we would allow your spirit to live these things out through us as we cannot do it in the natural. There is no way that we can. But I thank you for the mercy that you have shown to us to bring us into this position. In Jesus' name, Amen.